0: For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit download and sign
1: up today. All right, guys, welcome to today's show and on the show today, I'm super pumped. I'm joined by an amazing guy, somebody that I've listened to and looked up to in the podcast world for years and years, and that is Dan Johnson. I mean, I listened to him and Mark Kenyon go back and forth for gosh, hours upon hours talking about all their trips and It was cool to hear them going into like their experiences as they started to venture out West. And so we're going to pick Dan's brain about what Western hunting looks like for him today. Some of the gear that he uses, strategies, things like that. It's going to be a great BS session with me and the nine fingered legend, Dan Johnson. Now, before we do, I'm going to dive into a bit of non Western related information or story. I guess that's a better way to say it. Uh, I've been out turkey hunting and here in Missouri, I normally have pretty good luck. I'm not a good turkey hunter. I'm going to throw that out there, but I enjoy doing it because it's in the spring. Nothing else is really going on. To be honest, that's the main reason I picked it up and I found myself enjoying it more and more. Now it's not my number one. It's not my go-to. I don't sit in a deer stand thinking about turkey hunting. Um, just to put it in perspective where I land this morning, Was nuts. I mean, I bet you, this is no joke. I bet you, within the first hour of sitting, I heard between five and seven hundred gobbles. That might seem insane, but I'm telling you, there was probably ten to a dozen Jakes and Toms in this tiny little, like, maybe it's 15 acres, 20 acres, I really don't know uh woodlot and they were all up there in the roost and they were going nonstop i i bet you there wasn't 10 to 15 second like that much time in between every single gobble and once one would gobble they all would go off and it was just that all morning long and then i came up with a big goose egg i had an opportunity at a tom um actually me and my buddy Austin, we were, we were sitting there, we were sitting together, thought it was going to happen. It never did. And so we're like, dude, we're going to just push into the woods a little bit if we need, I mean, if we need to go get set up somewhere new and try to get to him. And we didn't make it very far into the woods and we could see this Tom just dancing up on the hill above us. He couldn't see us. We tried to get close enough and it just wasn't the right shot. If you know what I mean, like I could see his head, I had a tiny window, I didn't have a range on him, but it would have been probably like right at the edge of my effective range and there was too much cover. I mean, neither of us felt comfortable taking the shot, so we didn't, but nonetheless, it was a fun morning. Enough about turkey hunting though, because if you're listening to this, you want to hear about Western hunting. So we're going to dive into that right now. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. That have 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. <coughs> the yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is the man behind Nine Finger, excuse me, Nine Finger Chronicles, Sportsman's Nation. Actually, I don't know. Are we talking about changes already, Dan? Yeah, I mean it's
0: coming. It's coming. We're going to go from Sportsman's Nation to Sportsman's Empire. Uh, I haven't made the official announcement yet. There's a whole bunch of little things, same logo, same platform. Everything's going to be the same. It's just there's going to be a little bit of a name change. So now we've officially talked about it.
1: Nice. Well, uh, as, as I'm sure you guys have guessed now, Dan Johnson is with me on the show. And we're going to be talking about Western hunting today both past and future, what our experiences have been, what tags we've got for this year, and trips we plan to go on. So you ready to jump into all that? Yeah, I'm down, man. This is, uh, uh,
0: everything that I do is really heavy whitetail focused. And so I'm, I'm excited because some of these hunts are, are definitely some of the the most looked forward to, uh, I guess, trips of the year.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there's just something different about Western hunting or traveling somewhere to hunt. Like yeah. I've had those spots that I could go right out my back door and sit, but it's totally different when you actually like get in the vehicle, make a trip, you have to plan, you have to prepare uh, the food you're going to bring or how long you're going to be gone. Sometimes that comes with complications, like explaining to your wife how long you're going to be gone. Um, but yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, that's a fact. going
1: out West. I mean, it's, I feel like it's a lot of hunter's dreams, but not a ton of people actually venture out and do it. Uh, It's becoming more and more popular now, but it seems like in the past, growing up, especially for me, I think I knew one person who went out out west hunting. Everybody else just kind of hung out at home, did the nine-day Orange Army, and that was about it. Yeah.
0: Man, I I tell you what, I used to be in that same category. I never... I never did the gun, hunt. I haven't really done the gun hunting thing, it's all been archery for me, but I went out, you know, I've been out west a couple times, and uh, just heard the stories from other guys talking about, you know, hey, you need to get out and give something else a try out, outside of whitetails, and, and uh, so I went. Man, it's 2014. I went on my first uh, elk hunting trip that same year. I went to Nebraska looking for mule deer and antelope. Uh, Struck out, of course. And uh, so those two, that one year and those two trips kind of set the tone for what, like, now what I get excited about on, on some of these Western trips.
1: Yeah, I mean, what have you found is the thing that's different that draws you back there? every year from, from the type of hunting you're used to?
0: That's a great question. And it is 100% the landscape. Uh, I, I, I love the feeling that some of these environments, you you put yourself into an environment and you're a long way from a road or you've packed in. And when I mean a long way, it's not like we're, we're in Frank Church in Idaho, right? Where we're getting dropped off and we're, you know, 20, 20 miles from the nearest road. It's, it's, I haven't done anything that crazy yet. But when you can go to a place and at night you're in your tent and you get up the next morning and you look in the sky and the stars are crystal clear and that you can get to a like a high spot and you can see forever, right? And so it's, it's the feeling of feeling small in those environments and, and feeling like I'm insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I, for some reason I love that feeling. And from, from just an experience standpoint, I love, I love going and experiencing that, but then you mix it with, you know, my, my passion for bow hunting and it's just a win-win from that point on.
1: Oh yeah. When anytime you can get in, into a beautiful landscape out west uh, even just being there i tell my wife that all the time i'm like just being there if i come back without any meat it's going to be an amazing vacation in the wilderness being out there you know hopefully where i go i I like to not encounter as many people um it it comes in handy if you get in a tight situation or you need a hand uh, packing meat out but there's something about being in such a vast landscape And the adventure of, like in my tree stand, if I see, if I see deer moving over a hill in the opposite direction, I don't go after him. Um, If, if I sit on a property and I notice the neighbor's property looks like it has everything that a big buck would want, I typically can't go over there and just hunt. The adventure of being able to actually go, like once you're set up glassing and you see you see a valley or uh, a creek bottom on the other side of the valley that you want to go check out, you can just go do it.
0: Right. Yeah, for the most part, the 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 access to all the public land that the West offers is incredible. And uh, the ability to just move and go as far as you want or stay close as you want, and the ability to go look for animals. Now, like here in the whitetail world... If my farm's dead during the rut let's say there's not much I can do uh, I mean I, I can be patient and I can try to sit it out and maybe try to find little pockets where they're at but if they're on the neighbor's farm, they're on the neighbor's farm right out west man you could you can go for miles if you want and and just explore all of that that terrain and that that landscape and, and keep looking for them all day long and, and especially when I go out on my on my mule deer hunts right? It's like you can, you can scrub ground all day if you want looking for these creatures. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I love being able to actively hunt all day long.
1: Yeah. I, I would 100% agree with that growing up tree sand hunting, um, and even talking with other whitetail hunters. It's like, yeah, you know, the, the two hours in the morning and the two hours in the evening are typically when you're going to see the most deer right after daylight and then right before dark and with with elk with mule deer i haven't had any experience antelope hunting yet but um the ability to actually go after them or looking forward to those moments when they go in bed down and you might be able to get a little bit closer to them you might be able to put a good stock on a bedded buck or a bedded bull on the side of a mountain like it's just cool to be able to do all of that i will say it is freaking exhausting though like Oh, Doing yeah. an all day sit in the tree sand is one thing, but being on foot, pursuing animals, getting your heart rate racing and then dropping and then the the changes in weather that can take a toll on you for sure.
0: Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> the, the exhausting part is no joke, right now I've, I've had to pull some white tails out of some pretty thick terrain, but it's only like for, oh man, I don't know. uh, uh 200 yards would probably be the longest I've ever had to drag a white tail out of here in Iowa. Now out there I had to do like a three and a half mile pack out uh, for a mule deer that we shot. Went, like I went with my buddy the first year we ever went mule deer hunting and that pack out uh, was, you know, it was the end of the day. I didn't, I probably have enough food in my pack, you know, like cause typically we would finish the day and then go back to the tent. Well, We shot this, this mule deer at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And then the time it took us to quarter it or to, to debone it, quarter it up, take the hide off, get the, uh, you know, get the head off, get everything packed up. And we had a little granola bar before we started out out on this three and a half mile pack out. And this was in what some guys would probably laugh at me for saying this, this, this flat land of Western, uh, Uh, Western South Dakota and so we packed it out and by the time that we got out you know we hiked that three and a half miles it was like eight o'clock at night the sun was just going down and my legs I I'm glad we got to the truck when we did because there was no way I was taking another step I mean, that was like a hundred pound pack out for each of us and it was pretty brutal. And uh, so we definitely, uh, we definitely burnt a lot more calories then than pulling up, uh, you know, a truck t- to a field edge and pulling a whitetail into it. Oh
1: yeah. I, it's funny. I, I look at like dragging a deer out of the woods now this past year, I I had to drag three out in one day and that's because, you know, I hunt with a lot of family when I go to Wisconsin and Um, there's just a lot of deer. And so I always help some of, some of my family's getting older, or has knee issues or things like that. And so when it comes to dragging, it's me and my brother and my cousin. And I was a part of three deer drag outs and it's only on 40 acres. That's what we hunt up there. And so we were in the back corner of it to the front. And I was like, man, this is, this is exhausting. And then I look back at like packing an elk out. And that's exhausting. And then you still have 90% of the way to go. And I've never seen people get so angry at like terrain changes or mother nature just by packing meat out. It's, it's grueling. And it's one of those things where you in the moment think it's never going to end. And when you get to the vehicle or the side by side or whatever, you're thankful it's done. And you're like, man, I never want to do that again. And then a week later, you're missing it already.
0: Right. Right. And, and that's the struggle, you know, for some of us, for some of us, it's that struggle that is, I don't know, so much fun. And like, where do I get my water from? And, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of different ways to hunt the West. Right. But th- for example, this year, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be going two miles in roughly it was a if you draw a straight line it's like a mile and a half but I got to go around you know like this very small hill area that is vertical so I got to go around it hike in I'll bring water in with me but you know like one of the things I absolutely love to do is I just bought a brand new sleeping bag it's about a pound and a half lighter than my old sleeping bag I'm gonna probably buy a new tent And my, my old tent is great. It works perfect, but I don't, I want to be able to carry more water in and now I have to look for water and, and all these things that have to go right in order for not only just your stay to be, I guess, somewhat comfortable, but then on top of that, go and try to kill an animal as well. And so that that planning, the preparation—it's it's an all-year thing. It's very fun. The hunt itself is fun. It's unique. It's different. It's it's uh, taxing on the body and the mind. And and so when you win in an environment like that, it it just makes that whole experience that much greater. And I I I shot a whitetail in South Dakota last year, but that was a that was one of those things where it just kind of fell into my lap, and I took advantage of that, but it's not my ultimate goal of, of trying to get out there and kill a backcountry mule deer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like archery definitely takes things to a whole new level also. I mean, that's yeah. that's what you're doing. You're having to get yeah. way closer than I've ever had to for any Western hunts, and yeah, that's that's really intriguing. But on the gear side of things, it's funny because there are people who – get into Western hunting or backcountry hunting. And by the time their first year is up or maybe their, their second year, they are just as into minimalizing the gear that they have and, and lightening their load. I I've been getting into that recently. The first couple of years that I went out though, I was definitely like that Eastern guy that showed up with stuff that was way too heavy, way too much stuff. And part of me, Part of me doesn't really care to, to lighten everything up that much. Um, just because there's something about like suffering through it and just like having a hard, yeah. a hard job and then completing that job. Um, but at the same yeah. time, I'm in the same boat with you as water. We don't, we don't have water where we all hunt, And so when we do a spike camp, a couple miles back in, everything has to go on our back and that can be yeah. a huge challenge in itself. Yeah. That's a fact. That is a fact. What 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 does this year look like for you? Are you um I know in the past we've talked and even before the recording that you don't um or you didn't put in for any tags. Is that something that you always avoid? Are you just going places where you can get an over the counter tag or are there places that you're just hoping to draw down the road? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm stacking preference points uh right now in Wyoming. Um I actually might go to Colorado this year on a over the counter hunt, but um My preference point plan at this point is very minimal. I pretty pretty much have all my chips into one basket, and that's Wyoming. I have uh, several years' worth of preference points for elk and several years' worth of preference points for uh, deer and antelope out there. And so I'm just, I'm biding time, and I'm trying to get my, I'll be honest, I'm trying to get my youngest into kindergarten before I go and do that. So once he's in, once my youngest is in kindergarten, then I feel like I can get away for longer periods of time. Uh, that way, you know, I mean, he's in daycare now, which isn't, you know, that big of a deal, but I feel like that's, uh, when I, when I finally draw Wyoming, it's going to be a, probably a two week hunt. I'm going to put a lot of, energy into that because it's taken me so long to acquire all of these, these preference points, same with, same with uh mule deer and same with, uh, antelope out there. I mean, th- these are going to be, these are going to be trips that I take and I focus a lot of time out there when I, and I probably won't be doing any other hunts on those years, but in the meantime, everything that I've been doing is over the counter out West. And it's either been, you know, like Idaho back. I haven't hunted Idaho again. I've done that just the just the one year, and that was a that was over the counter at the time. I don't think Iowa or uh, Idaho is over the counter anymore. Colorado. Every time I've gone to Colorado, that's been three years. That's been a over the counter brutal hunt, and then over the counter in Nebraska, over the or you have to apply for it, but it's a guaranteed draw right now in South Dakota, and you can hunt. Just For whitetail and mule there out there in both nebraska and south dakota so as far as western hunts are concerned western nebraska and western kansas are are on the table this year for my uh for my trips so whether i'm sleeping in the back of a truck or or hiking in on on one of those hunts uh to set up a a kind of a base camp before i head further in that's that's what's on the schedule as of right now for Western Hunts, and with the goal of like just strictly getting a meal there.
1: Nice. What uh, you'd mentioned that all of your eggs are in Wyoming's basket as far as preference points and trying to draw. Uh, what is there a reason specifically that you chose Wyoming over places like Montana, Idaho, Colorado, Utah?
0: You know, I I really haven't put enough research into into that to to give you an educated answer but I will say that the reason that it's I've focused on Wyoming is because the preference point system is so easy right all you have to do is just in on July 1st I go buy my preference point and then I just forget about it the next year July go buy my preference points and so what I'm doing is I'm just building up those preference points until i can say okay it's i want to go hunt now and so when now after a handful of years i'm going to go i'm going to go hunt some of these spots and or when i when i do decide to go hunt some of these spots i i want to make it i want to make it worthwhile and that's an easy way of collecting preference points i don't have to worry about it i don't have to sign up for a you know i don't have to buy a, a license i don't have to do a whole bunch of other you know apply then get your money back and do all you know all this other stuff for for a preference point it's very simple and i'm sure there's other states that have that same system it's just that that's when i started that's what i was doing and then i and then i i stuck with it
1: nice i know i know with colorado their system has changed quite a bit um when i first started hunting out there i think it was the first year that they went to The system where you don't have to pay for the hunt up front and then get refunded. And that blew my mind that they ever did that. Cause I mean, if you're putting in, especially for a non-resident tag for anything, you're looking at several hundred dollars up to, you know, like a moose tag for a non-resident is like 2,400 bucks. And I just can't imagine having to put in or have all of that money available. Say you want to put in for a preference point for antelope, mule deer, bear, and elk. You're looking at fifteen hundred plus dollars that you have to have and be okay with not having for ninety days before you get refunded. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I probably wouldn't have started hunting out there had it not been for the switch over to where I mean it was still a complicated process, but I didn't have to have the funds ready to go at the day that I applied. Yeah.
0: Yep. And and that's the same with Wyoming when you do apply. You get your money back if you don't draw, but I don't know. That's just how they do it. So I don't really complain. You know, I got to have the money anyway. So you might as well have it when you apply for the tag, uh, and and potentially not get it. Then you know have to wait until the season you know the the actual season starts or when the tag is actually allocated to you so whatever i i just uh i go by with whatever rules they are and i make little documentations and i keep notes of how many preference points i have in certain areas and and uh then when my schedule meets up with you know when my schedule allows me to go do do this i'm going to i'm going to go all in
1: yeah that's that's going to be exciting. I mean, it's going to be yeah. uh, a fun message to get or an email to get, but um, at the same time, then it's like game time. It's no longer dreaming. Yeah, it's right. full-on planning. It's about to happen.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely, man. And, and and then that's when the real fun begins, right? Oh, yeah.
1: that I've gotten those calls from uh, a couple of friends one drew a moose tag one year and a couple years later drew a mountain goat tag and it was like dude you'll never believe the message i just got and i'm like oh crap we're (laughs) we're moose hunting this fall aren't we and uh sure enough and it was i mean it, it seemed like every week i was over there we're checking out maps planning scouting trips out there for the summer before and then you know the time came and luckily all the work paid off we did we did a bunch of scouting we found gosh, 23 moose in two days um, when, when we went out to scout and then opening day, he connected on an amazing bull. And so it's, it's definitely a different world though. It's not like, you know, Hey, I got permission on this property. Now I have all year to, to get out, hang out there, check trail cameras when it's out of state, when you're traveling hundreds of miles for it, it's a whole different type of preparation. Yeah.
0: That's the truth, my friend.
1: What, um, you, you mentioned you do a lot of the -the over-the-counter hunts. Are there places that you've become familiar with that you go back every year now? Like you hunt maybe the same Valley or the same drainage.
0: Yeah. So I think that that's what part of this learning curve is that, uh, I talk about on my podcast for sure. uh, And I hear other guys talk about is, so I don't know if I just am too busy of a person. And what I mean by that is I have, I have a problem sitting still for so long and, or, or staying in one place for so long. And so when I would go out West in some of these States to mule deer hunt, I wouldn't give an area enough time to cycle through. And I think that's part of the problem. I know there's great deer in the area. I've seen them there before previous years. Um, You know, I I see really good numbers there every year in certain some of these places every year I've gone. But I'll go in, uh, especially if I'm hunting from my truck, and I'll walk in, I'll give it a day. Yeah, there's nothing here, and then I'll go to a different spot. What I should be doing, and this is just maybe this is the right thing to do, maybe it's not, but give some of these places a little bit more time than just. 24 hours, like a morning hunt and then an afternoon hunt or an afternoon hunt and then then a morning hunt before I make my decision to go and head back to, uh, I don't know, move to the next spot. So I, I, yes, that's something that I am in the process of doing right now is learning not only just one giant piece of public land, but valleys and drainages within those that in the past have held held the deer and now with that i got to try to find those ambush spots within those drainages to try to get on them and so that that's something that i am in the process of doing right now not only while i'm out there hunting but e-scouting as well if the wind's doing this if the thermals are doing this blah, you know like always cycling through the hunt stand and, and putting pins where I think, oh, this might be a good glassing spot or, or this uh, this might be a, a good spot to ambush or I'll be in the shade at this time of day or they'll be in the shade this time of the day. So just like always, always trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And I, what I really need to do is just like take that mindset, but apply it over instead of one day over three or four days.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean. I've heard of people going out and, you know, they'll go out a couple days before and they'll scout and they'll see if they can locate certain animals that they want to target. But when you're traveling a long distance and, you know, you've got a family back home and a job and it's not always easy or it's not always possible to go out ahead of time. And so, yeah, I think I think it can be super effective to get out and scout while you're hunting. You know, you're constantly looking for the next vantage point, the next, uh, ambush spot, like you had mentioned.
0: Um, yeah, trust me, man. I want to, I want to be out there. I would love to take a summer scouting trip and throw trail cameras out in some of these spots every single year. It's just logistically, it's not possible with three kids and, and crazy schedules and kids schedules and a schedules and, and all that stuff. So that's why when it's time to go out and hunt, I, I hunt as hard as I possibly can.
1: Oh, absolutely. You got to make the most of every opportunity and when when i'm back home i find myself it gets as season goes it's more and more tempting to sleep in instead of get out in the tree stand but out there like you that might be your only opportunity and yeah to to waste one of you know six days that you might have just isn't an option now when when you're out there like in places that you've gone and you've had success is it hard to trying to think how to say this i i visualize like how it's gone in the past and i think i can just imagine a bull coming up the same ridge um is it hard for you to like move away from places that you've had success in the past because you think it could happen again or or is um, the adventure of finding a new spot even greater than than your thought of it repeating itself i,
0: I guess i really don't think that way really um I go, I I try to go back to spots that I've seen deer in, in the past. And then it's, for me, it's just a matter of, like I said earlier, it's just a a matter of time, you know, like how much time am I going to give an area? And the more I think about it over the years, I'm not giving some of these areas enough time to rebound, uh, every single year. Or, like, to, you know, have deer cycle through. Because, you know, you go there and you only hunt 24 hours. Well, we all know that, especially out west, deer have much more, especially for mule deer, what I've found, they have a bigger range than a whitetail. They travel further distances between water and food sources. Um, And, I don't know. they, They just, they probably, because of that travel pattern, they they cover more ground they're not always going to the same you know the the same locations every single day and so f- like for me i i like to go back to the spots it's just a matter of giving those spots enough time to to see deer movement and then move on to the next spot
1: yeah that makes sense i mean with with whitetail you know you know how mature bucks are they could have a really really tight core range and home range but like you right. said, I mean, elk and mule deer, even antelope, they, they'll just travel for miles and miles. And right. that that's where my mind is blown in looking at some of these guys who will follow the same deer or the same elk year after year. And they'll wait till it gets to be 200 inches. And I'm like, man, I don't, even, I don't understand. That's just got to be hours and hours behind the glass all the time. Yeah. Otherwise, it would yeah. be an impossible feat to find even the same buck one year to the next. And,
0: yeah, and that's the same thing that I've had to learn, right? It's like sitting down. And, and so like, I should be used to that from a whitetail standpoint, right? I should be used to sitting down and really just waiting, And and maybe getting behind the glass and doing that. But what I've always found myself is I'd go, I'd see a drainage across the valley or something. All right, get the spotter out, get the binos out. All right, give it it a couple hours, nothing happens, and and then go. And so it wasn't last year, but the year before, I went back to uh, an old spot that I'd been the previous year. First day I went in and I glassed a huge, you know, I saw a ton of does. I saw a little bit, a, a couple spikes, and that was it. And so the next the next morning I went to the same spot and then I went back across even further into the public and I sat for that afternoon, I sat and glassed a different uh, series of drainages and, and ridges. And lo and behold, I didn't see anything until one stood up and these deer can materialize out of nothing. He was <laughs> going kidding. from his, yeah, it's crazy. And so he was going from like, one bed to I think they you know like I hate to use the terminology because I don't feel like I I deserve to use it yet but they call it the second bed so when the sun shifts the shade shifts and then they stand out and then they go find a new place to bed to get back in that afternoon shade before they stand up and ultimately go out to feed again and so and so out out of nowhere and these deer can hide you know from a mule there standpoint they can hide in plain sight it it's like the ability that, that how they can do that blows still blows my mind and I've been out there four years now chasing these these animals and so or, or three years four different trips and so I don't know man it, it, it's uh it was absolutely crazy watching this deer just materialize out of nothing I'm like is that a deer butt And then I followed him to his second bed, and I put a stock on him. And by the time I got there, uh, he wasn't there. And so I don't know. It's just just learning how to do all of this again is and, and putting learning how to just be patient and sit and knowing when to make the moves. And it's probably better out there like learning when to be aggressive and go in for a stock and knowing when, okay, maybe you should just give it a little bit more time. Let's see what he does. Maybe he'll be here tomorrow. Maybe he won't, you know, it's like, those are the, the, the scenarios where you, you roll the dice and it just, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I'm not to that, I, like me personally, I don't, I don't think I'm to that point yet. Like I'm still absorbing as much information as possible.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's always more to absorb. Like as much as you think you can learn out there, there's, there's another learning experience, you know, that afternoon or, and you have to figure it out quickly. Otherwise you're just going to be putting on lots of miles and doing lots of work. And if you don't learn from, you know, what you saw the day before, or you learn from, um, blowing a deer out of an area when, when you should have waited, like it's going to be, it's going to be difficult to keep at it year after year. Um, unless you have that mindset now yeah you had you had mentioned um your your glassing uh both with binos and a spotting scope are you bringing both out when you go out there
0: oh yeah yep yep spotters are where where i hunt and i guess how i hunt they're a necessity especially if you really want to pick apart uh, a certain drainage or landscape like and then another thing that the spotter does is you can see deer through your binos and then certain counties and certain units in certain states have a you know like for me is that a is that a legal buck or is it just a spike is it a legal buck or is it a a doe so if i see a whole bunch of does i can't shoot a doe a mule deer doe in certain in certain areas so I have to say to myself, okay, well, it's not worth going into that area if there's no bucks in there. So then you back out or you, you put the binos up until you can actually identify deer, get the spotter out for the details, and then say, okay, that's that. it's worth moving into that area a little bit further.
1: Yeah, I, I've got a love-hate relationship with spotting scopes. I love them because you can truly identify what you're about to go after. You can, you can right. get a really close look. I hate them because they have ruined my credibility with my hunting buddies so many times. I'll be, I'll be like, dude, I got one. I got one. And I'm looking at something, and I think it's an elk. And, hey, I just saw it turned its head to the left. It's facing that direction. And my eyes, I mean, you know how it is. When you're glassing that long, your eyes play tricks on you. And then they're like, oh, right. let's get a better look. They pull out the spotter, and I've been looking at a stump. Um, and (laughs) I, I I've been so embarrassed and then I watch these guys who have been doing it for 18 years and the same thing happens to them. So I don't feel quite as bad. Yeah.
0: Yep. That's a fact. And and learning, I mean, uh, learning how to identify, you look for subtleties and you look for very small little movements and, and things like that, that, that start to catch your eye and still, you know, you watch some of these shows where guys are picking out, Mule deer in the shade at thousands of yards through a spotter, and then I up got one just from a subtle head turn, and like i'm not to that level yet, hopefully someday I can get to that level, but that there's only one way to get there, and that's just more hunting seasons under the belt oh
1: absolutely i mean i I experience that every time I go out there. day one, yeah. I have a really hard time finding the animals, and then it seems like by the end of the week you know i'll I'll catch just a hoof underneath a cedar tree, and I'm like, hey there's an elk over there or there's a deer over there and they're like, where? I don't see it. I just saw, I I just saw a foot. That's all I saw. But there's one in there. No way. And sure enough, or you wait long enough and they pop out.
0: Yeah. Where you do it. I, uh, we did one year and it was like, Oh my God, we found, we finally found a good buck to go chase. And so we're, I'm like, do you see it? He's like, Oh my God, that's a big buck. You know, we, it's probably a, I'm going to say it's three quarters of a mile from where we were at under, under, a, under like a, a little pine tree in, up in some real deep cut. We're like, okay, let's go make a move on them. We get there and it's just a branch, right? It's like, <laughs> like we just walked, you know, we just walked a mile and a half to get here, you know, a mile there and a mile back to where, where we were at. And so it's just like, oh my God, you know, what a waste of time. But, at you know, it just, a It's just the part of the learning process.
1: Yeah. And and that's part of the fun of it all. I mean, looking, looking back at my first year, uh, before I, I started hunting this, unit with my buddies, there was a really bad burn. I mean, it burnt a ton of land. I don't know how many thousands of acres, but it was a lot. And I get out there and we're, we sit down and we start glassing. And I think we were there like the two days before, but we got there late in the day, two days before season. And they're like hey we've got a couple hours left let's go see if we can locate something um just for you know intel throughout the for the next week and we get to this burn and i'm i'm thinking to myself like are you guys idiots every there's nothing like there's there's no cover at all it's just bare ground and black trees we don't need binos we don't need spotters we don't need any of it and like you said, they materialize out of nowhere. It's like all of a sudden you see one, and then you realize there's 70 elk that have been in plain sight the entire time, and yeah, uh, it had me fooled. And now I'm like that one experience has turned me into a much more patient glasser. And I will say, yeah, glassing is one of my favorite activities now. Like the amount of things yeah. that you can see if you sit down behind a tripod with your binos or a spotter on it. It's just so cool to see deer and elk and bear when they have no idea you're anywhere around.
0: Right. Right. Yep. And, uh, I don't know. And so I I guess at at this point I'm just like, I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm, I am, I am nowhere near any, like I'm still a Western rookie. You know what I mean? Like I, I, there's, there is no, experience level in me and so and this is one of those things where like even if I do let's say pull something off and you know yeah I shot a whitetail there but that wasn't my goal last year my goal was to uh, to go shoot a mule deer and so we ran in we were looking for mule deer and then we ran into this nice little area that was holding some good whitetails and wouldn't you have it we put a plan together one fell in my lap that's awesome but that's whitetail, right? Yeah. I, I didn't go out there specifically to hunt whitetail. You know, I could have went to Missouri or Illinois or Wisconsin or Minnesota to do that. Now that not not the same terrain because that's that's unique. That's unique uh, where I killed this uh, whitetail at. But this year, I'm 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 removing whitetail out of the equation by going to a place where there's no white tails oh, okay. and so or I, I've I've never seen them before so I don't want you know I'm not I, I'm taking white tails out of the equation so that I really focus on what I ultimately want and that's a, a mule deer a legal mule deer I,
1: I don't know if you like playing the hypothetical game at all but say you go into this area where you yep. you're unaware of white tail right at what inch bracket if you will would you end up shooting a whitetail if you saw it in this area oh, when you're specifically man. going for Muleys?
0: well i i mean out there so i shot maybe last year a whitetail that was a whitetail buck that was a hundred maybe maybe he's a hundred inches right uh he's a, a he's an awesome character he's got two kickers coming off of his g2s but he's a mainframe eight He's a maybe he's a 100, 105 inches, something, something like that. And so I don't know. I, I mean, if there's a if there's a, a giant like 145, 150-inch whitetail that gives me a shot opportunity, yeah, I would probably take it. But that's why I'm going into these locations that are off the off the food sources that whitetail typically hang out at. And we're in, like, I'm in mule deer country. So hopefully I, I, I mean, I won't turn it down, but hopefully I'm going into these areas to not have opportunities like with whitetails.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um,
0: so I hope I answered your question. No, question. no,
1: you definitely did. I'm like, I, I do like the whole idea of going into an area that could have both and you know i've got friends they did the same thing they were in wyoming and they had an either whitetail or mule deer tag and they were wanting to shoot a mule deer really bad and these whitetails just kept giving them opportunities and they ended up shooting one um but i'm like man it, it'd be tough if you're like a first time if you're a rookie to the west you know even if it's not your first time yeah. if you're there four years and you've been wanting a mule deer really bad and you're like no whitetails for me I, there's always a point at which you're like, well, okay, that game plan is out the window. <laughs> like, this is an amazing deal. Yeah. I'm going to take it. Right. Um, have you, have you upgraded since I think you said, has it been four seasons or did you say three?
0: Uh, It's been three seasons, four trips out there. So okay. one year I didn't find success in October when I went. So then I went back out there in December and, found even more unsuccess.
1: (laughs) Have you, um, in those three seasons and in the four trips, have you upgraded any of your other equipment? I know you're talking about lightening some of your sleeping equipment. Um, what about, what about your archery equipment or your glass or your boots? Have you had to make improvements on that?
0: Nope. Same stuff. If anything, I feel like I've, I've downgraded. And what I mean by that is just not packing in as much stuff with me uh and, and like all this stuff that I thought I needed but I didn't need. And so I guess becoming a little bit more minimalistic. Like one year I I packed in a small pillow. Well, I don't need a I don't need a pillow, right? I don't bring a one one year I brought in a, a like a a padded seat to sit on. Well, I I found myself not even taking it off my pack and just sitting in the dust and in the rocks and and things like that so i didn't so i I didn't bring that anymore uh the boots I, i man i used those boots for three years uh they worked great um you know just so so when it comes to my gear i'm not like a crazy person other than this year i wanted to reduce the amount the size and the weight, not necessarily weight, just volume of things. And so as I reduced my sleeping bag, got a lighter one, the profile of that sleeping bag also became smaller. Uh, I'm probably going to buy a smaller tent this year, like I mentioned, um, that's going to be ultra lightweight. And so when I say lightweight, it means it's going to be, have a smaller profile as well. And so that's just going to give me the opportunity to put more food and water in my pack. The benefit is that it's not going to weigh as much, but, um, I'm still going to replace that. I'm not necessarily cutting weight because I'm going to replace it with food and water. Yeah.
1: Speaking of food, what, uh, what is your food, I guess not regimen, but what are you bringing out there? Is it typically like mountain house or some type of freeze-dried um, meal?
0: Yeah, it just depends. So uh, when I went to Nebraska, we were able to uh, hunt from the truck most of the day. So I, I slept in the bed of my truck on on these hunts. And so I ended up going and getting, um, you know, just a, a cooler full of food for the most part you know i could make a i could make a ham sandwich or i can eat some chips or i can eat some fresh fruit or some bananas or apples or you know jerky from home and things like that but then when i'm packing in right it's all freeze-dried food right It uh, in ba- like bars so like uh, peak Fuel is a brand that i like to use uh, a lot yeah i do use some mountain house type meals um Uh, like just regular granola bars, some protein bars, uh, for, for breakfast snack throughout the day. I usually bring trail mix in some individual serving sizes along with some, uh, jerky and some, uh, so I take, um, a a bar, like I, I usually have a bar for breakfast and then I have a sack full of food for the day, which typically includes the trail mix that I make the, uh, trail mix that I make, the jerky, and then, you know, maybe some stuff if I want something a little bit more flavorful to add to my water, I'll do that. And then, uh, when I get back as when I usually consume most of my calories and that's with like, uh, like a peak refuel or a mountain house meal.
1: Nice. I I've gone out with such little food before. And I realized that having good food to eat when I'm out there can make all the difference in yeah. my mindset. Uh yeah. I I did that mountain goat hunt and the guy came with and he brought honey sticks and he brought those I don't even know they're like a honey wafer, like a little a real thin cookie. Oh yeah, uh bee stinger. Yes. Oh my like gosh, stingers. man. Yeah. He brought those and I'm like, "How how have I gone this long without knowing about this stuff?" Um <laughs> but then right. uh I've got some friends that are really into rock climbing and they make these bars, they're called 1000 calorie bars. And it is just loaded with like walnuts and almonds and pecans, honey, oats, peanut butter, you name it, it's probably in it. Yeah. And so I got the recipe from them. And now my wife makes like two giant cookie trays full of them. And we bring those out. But at the end of the day, no matter how good the stuff is that you can just pull out of your pack, like once you can actually warm up a meal, there's nothing like hot food after a hard day of hiking or glassing oh, or yeah. hunting.
0: Yeah, that's a fact. And at the same time, uh, like I'm, I'm kind of a dog when I'm out in the back country. I, I will eat the same, you know, I'll eat the same thing every day. Yep. Uh, but when I'm in my truck, and then I have the ability to have more variety. Um, and then, you know, if you're from your truck, you're like, ah, man, I'm gonna run into town, and grab a burger at the bar, or you know or or go to a quick restaurant and, and get something you know like a, a warm cooked homemade meal and you're not having to eat another f- you know another freeze dried meal some of those freeze dried meals don't get me wrong they're 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 great but a, a big fat burger oh, when you're yeah. when you're exhausted is is so good
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we, we we found ourselves doing that um so we we set up a huge base camp i mean people have their side-by-sides and their their toy haulers their campers um one one group of guys they brought a basically a converted semi-trailer um all the way back and they eat like kings there but we'll go out and we'll do spike camp for a couple days and what's really funny is watching the other groups of guys that go out and spike camp somewhere for three or four days they come back and before like A philly cheesesteak on the flat iron the first thing they always go for is a cold beer as soon as they get to camp it's like where's the cooler (laughs) and uh we i mean we have a great time there but there's nothing like getting one cleaned up we do oh yeah typically i feel like every other night somebody or other goes into town and they'll just go pay for pay for a shower at the truck stop and yeah. When you can go and get cleaned up midweek, it like refuels you, gets you ready to go again. Um, but then you're always yeah. wondering, like, did I miss out on something this evening? <laughs> right.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I always I always uh, get a hotel if we're especially if we're sleeping in the truck and I know it's going to be a rain delayed day, uh, you know, we'll throw a, or or we're close. Right. We'll get a we'll get a hotel for a night, freshen up and then, you know, or on like the, the first trip, no, the second trip that I made to Nebraska this year, we stayed, we stayed in hotels every night because they were close, you know, it was just a drive into town. So um, but the first trip I made out to Nebraska was a little like we had a, a couple days where it was a, like a really long drive. We stayed, we st- spent the night and then a rain delay day. We spent the night, but then other than that, the guy I was with, he pitched a tent and I slept in the back of the truck and and uh that's that's pretty comfortable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's man, I feel like everything for western hunting, whether it be food prep, um lessening your gear or building, you know, a back of your truck bed living quarters. Like I feel, there's people who get in really deep to every single aspect
0: of yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's some of that stuff where I probably need to, but I got a piece of foam uh, for my bed and I got a decent sleeping bag. And, and by the end of the day, man, I could sleep on pavement (laughs) or on gravel rock. I'm so tired. So I, you know, I I, I fall asleep anywhere.
1: Yeah. Um, Have you got, have you gotten into going back to any of those places? Shed hunting?
0: Nope. Haven't done that. You know, and it really all comes back to time. You know, like I, I really do want to come and and go do that stuff, but you know, it's like I'm weighing my options. I can go and I can go take a trip to scout, but then I'm usually gonna have to give up some other type of trip throughout the year at some point. And so, you know, it's just they're all they're all hunting trips, and and so I really haven't focused on any scouting trips or shed hunting trips or, or things like that. I I should, I should, I should maybe go do a Turkey hunt in some of those spots and that instead of, you know, while I'm there in the afternoons, go do some scouting. But really it's been, it's just, you know, the, the trip is just to hunt.
1: Yeah. No, I understand that. I, I have yet to do an actual shed trip and this time of year it kills me because I am one, the world's worst shed hunter when it comes to whitetail sheds. I can't seem to find whitetail <laughs> sheds. I found my first one, actually, this year while actually actually looking. I've stumbled across a couple other ones, like, totally out of the blue. But I went out specifically for sheds, ended up finding one. I was really pumped. It was this tiny, tiny little four-point side, but it didn't matter to me at all. Um, but out west, man, there are so many antlers on the ground. And I end up finding them... When i'm hunting and i'm like dude i could come back here like in the spring and and find them while they're brown it would be amazing i i've always wanted to have that whole backpack full of mule deer and elk sheds hiking out of the mountains
0: yeah, yeah. yep that's uh that would definitely be fun
1: yeah hopefully hopefully one day um one day but man i i appreciate you hopping on sharing all your experiences and, and gear and strategies, I, I'm going to be right behind you. I mean, I'm three years back now, but archery is the next step in my evolution when it comes to Western hunting. Yeah. That is yeah. everybody I talk to, they're like, dude, once you get into archery, be careful because, you know, you might not need a, a rifle for hunting out West anymore.
0: Right. And I'd rather, I'd much rather hunt in, in some temperate, Type climate weather than I would, you know, hiking up a mountain in snow. Uh, so I, uh that's why, that's why I hunt archery.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I, I don't like the heat though. That's the one thing. I know some of those places yeah. can get pretty hot and I should say they've gotten, they've gotten warm even late rifle seasons yeah. for me. Um, but I've, I'm a much bigger fan of the cold than the heat, but I'd love it, you know, if it was. 40 to 60 degrees all the time we all know that's not possible yeah
0: i'm i'm the opposite i I guess i'd rather hit uh sit and sweat than i would sit and freeze oh
1: man i don't understand people like you dan i know we (laughs) share the same name but we are (laughs) cut from a different cloth (laughs) there you go i can't do that but man thanks i i hope you all the best this fall uh when you're out hunting and dude good luck man I hope, I hope you get tested out there. I hope that that 145-inch whitetail comes out, and then you really have to make the choice. <laughs> Gosh dang it. I
0: wish, why can't you just say, hey, I hope a 145-inch mule deer comes by? Because I'd shoot Wait, that, isn't too. isn't
1: that what I said? Oh, I said whitetail. No, you, said, you said whitetail.
0: <laughs> so, hey, man, I, I really appreciate
1: you having me on. Absolutely. And that is going to wrap up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I mean, it is always awesome being able to talk to somebody in the outdoor world that you really look up to. And to hear about Dan and his passion for going after mule deer out west. And the change that he had to adapt to from hunting whitetail in Iowa to actually going and pursuing with your bow on foot, in their bedroom, big mule deer, elk, antelope. Like, going and experiencing things like that would just be so sweet with a bow. It's a lot of fun already with a rifle, but I can't imagine like the intimacy that you would experience spotting one from a thousand yards away. I mean, he said like three quarters of a mile on some of these, and then hoping that it's still in its bed by the time you get over there, having to sneak in undetected in an area where there are a ton of predators and a ton of dangers. And so their alerts are already high, but oh man, i'm getting pumped already i'm hoping to i'm hoping to go do some archery hunting out west this year and in a lot of future years so we'll see how that all plays out but i will say i i want you guys to be taking a lot away from these i know that we get into a lot of stories and it kind of is a bs session but as far as strategy and tips and gear and all of that stuff i i hope that you guys are kind of gleaning some information From us as we're talking, as we're talking about the gear that we use, or how much it weighs, or the food that we eat. Um, Hopefully, you guys can take that, put it into practice on your own Western hunts. And I already know for myself, like walking away from this conversation, I need to lighten my load. I've got so much stuff. I've got bulky stuff that's heavy, and I think that just comes from like getting into it as cheap as possible. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I could go out and do the same hunts that I always do with the same gear that I always do. But in hearing him talk about like lightening his gear, sometimes by a pound and a half in one item, that's a lot when it comes down to thinking about how many items I have. Like I used to do the same thing, bring a pillow. But guess what? I've got down jackets and pants and outerwear and I can turn that into a pillow super easy but I think I'm gonna hop on Amazon because who doesn't love going on Amazon finding new deals looking at ratings and reviews maybe that's what I'll do today Maybe I could look at like sleeping bags and pads a new tent oh man I, I could have a lot of money spent right now before I even finish recording this um, but I'm gonna let you guys off I hope you guys enjoyed it and as always Get out there, chase a new adventure.